Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Between the Posts podcast. My name is Erik Elias and with me once again, our writer, Jose Perez. Jose, welcome. Thanks, Eric. Hello and hello to everyone. So we're here once again and this time to review La Liga games. Yes, that's your favorite league, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, indeed, this weekend we've settled on analyzing Getafe against the Real Madrid, a match between La Liga's number six and number two going into the match. Of course, La Liga still very much up for grabs, so that's interesting. Um, Jose, for the people that don't watch La Liga every other week, could you maybe, to start off the podcast, give a quick overview on their tactical game plan? Like, what are Getafe all about? What are their strengths, weaknesses, style of play? Could you fill the listener in on that? Yes. So, Getafe are coached by Jose Bordalas. Uh, their, they, their main characteristic in terms of shape is that they've always played this 4-4-2 uh, defensive shape. Now, over time, and especially this season, Getafe have decided to just go full suicide press on everyone. So, they are probably the highest pressing and the most aggressive pressing team in the league. And they're... And that's basically how they try to reduce uh, every every opponent's shot output. So again, these guys usually play a, a four four two, um, and this is the shape. Um, usually, in the case of uh, here against Real Madrid, we had uh, the strikers, the two strikers pressing against the two center backs, the two wingers in the four four two were pressing against the two fullbacks, and the two central midfielders. Uh, were pressing against Real Madrid's deepest two central midfielders, which were usually uh, Casemiro and Toni Kroos. And again, Getafe are very effective at what at what they do uh, because they are extremely intense. And also, yeah, and some a I few think, fouls. Uh, a good stat that that sums that up is that they have they have made the most fouls in the entire La Liga. So that sums it up nicely. Um, you went into some details already about how they pressed, but can we first discuss maybe Zidane's lineup choices? Because against that 4-4-2 put out by Getafe, he again went for a 4-3-3 with Isco as the left winger. So in practice, it's more of a 4-4-2 diamond-like formation. Can you tell me a bit about his midfield choices, who was absent and all that? In this case, I think the two bigger absences for Real, for Real Madrid, which did affect a lot the run of play, is that, well, Sergio Ramos was suspended, uh, Marcelo was injured, and Sidan uh, decided to rest uh, Fede Valverde. So there were several changes in the starting line, lineup. So Eder Militao played as the left center back, Mendy played as the left back, and instead of Valverde, Modric was starting in central midfield. Meanwhile, we had... Isco and Bale playing as wingers. And this one was more of a 4-3-3, surprisingly, was mm -hmm. rather than the diamond, uh, oh, rather than the diamond shape. For the people that haven't really have been paying close attention, there's a strong argument now that if you field the strongest starting eleven from Real Madrid, that Modric is not a starter, right? That would be my, my argument right now. And I think this game kind of confirmed it, yes. Mm -hmm. Because Valverde, eh, you made it very clear that you are a native Spanish speaker. Uh, I'll just say Valverde instead of uh, Babette. <laughs> <laughs> no, but joke. But uh, he's doing very well, of course, kid from uh, Uruguay. Uh, what do you think Zidane tried to accomplish with Isco and Modric? And, and like, did he really try to go for, for possession against that crazy press from Getafe? Is that what we can deduce from his starting lineup? That's what I thought. Uh, 
and Zidane has done this for a while. Like this was kind of the key of the best Real Madrid that we saw in the 2016-2017 season in which they were playing with Kroos, Modric, Isco, and it was just extremely hard to take the ball out of these players. So I, pre I presume Zidane was going for something similar for this game. Just get your usual like press-resistant lineup Uh, against one of the heavier pressing teams in the league. Right. It, it made sense. Like, the personnel selection made sense. It's just that Modric and Isco are not playing as well as they did in 2017. So, in what kind of first half did it result then? What, what kind of first half did we see? Getafe with their high-pressing system. Real with not a lot of speed in attack. Only Bill, and he is also not as quick as he used to be. Mm -hmm. um, what, what kind of clash did we see then? Um, basically Real Madrid getting uh, kind of run over physically for mm -hmm. 45 minutes, especially. Like, if we look at the shots that it, it was basically Hetafe out shooting them eight shots to two uh, throughout the first half. They only let Real Madrid have two shots, which is pretty incredible. Yes, and I don't follow uh, Getafe all that well. Obviously, I do watch here and there a little bit of all leagues uh, because I have to because of the website. But they are a crazy gang of players together. Yes, they, it, it's quite interesting. Like, probably the best representation of Hitafe right now is uh, the former Barca youth squad uh, player, Marco Curela, who's playing in left wing. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you just see, like, all of like, that super curly hair running around the pitch <laughs> everywhere, pressing like a madman. It's great. Yes, but that other guy on the left flank they have, Nyom who used to yes. play right back for some clubs in the Premier League as well. Yes. That is a crazy player because in the first 10 minutes, I think he had a, he had a couple of 1v1s with Gareth Bale. I think mm -hmm. he fouled him like five or six times and the ref only, only called foul two or three times. But it goes to show you what their game plan was. Okay, we're going high up the field, press almost one, one versus one, and we're going to be physical and aggressive. And I think we can make the conclusion that Real Madrid just couldn't cope in the entire first half. Yes, and the only ones in Real Madrid who could cope were the defenders because they were the ones who were act like they were the only players in the team who were winning their duels. Like to me, the entire back line was pretty solid, and Casemiro, of course, were mm -hmm. all pretty solid and in winning their individual duels. And Hitafe pressed well, they caused many turnovers in midfield, but most of those turnovers didn't turn into shots because of Real Madrid's defensive line. Like, in the end, I was looking at the numbers and Casemiro, Varane, and uh, Militao have had 12 clearances just in the first half, had another 11 clearances in the second half. Yes. So it was just consistently them stopping any, any, Hitafe's, any of Hitafe's attempts at attack. And I think one of the more interesting stats that you also dug up was that Tony Kroos in the first half had only 20 passes which is really not a lot. And Isco had only 12 passes. And as you told me already, Real Madrid like to build up from the left. And that just goes to show you, Kroos always plays in the left half space. Isco playing from the left, they just couldn't do it today. Yes. So, and this is one of the things where the, I think the absences had a big impact, especially the absence of, of Ramos, because uh, usually, like he's the one who starts the build up and connects with Kroos and Isco. Uh, this time, because he was absent, I think the other two senior players in the defense who work out of Ahal and Varane were the ones who took the lead building up. 
And because they play on the right side, that means that Real Madrid, throughout the first half, did most of their playing out from the back on the right side. So they, so Kroos and Isco barely got to participate in the game. And that's not what you want if you are Zidane and your game plan is apparently modeled on possession and control. Um, yeah, Getafe gets some chances. I thought uh, Courtois had a very good uh, first half and maybe even an overall game because he saved some good shots. Yes, and uh, at this point, like, I, I, it's a good moment like, to just state that Courtois might be having uh, one of the better shots stopping seasons of his career like I was looking both at his uh, shot on target save percentage and also at the at the expected goals of those shots shots on target and this seems to be the his best performance since his last season with Atletico in the 2013-2014 season so he's like it, it is quite like he's doing quite well right and if we're talking goalkeepers anyway um, we have stated that Getafe had a better first half, but still Real Madrid take the lead in the 35th minute. Uh, they have a set piece. And yeah, I cannot say it any different than a howler by the goalkeeper of Getafe. Mm-hmm. Um, it went in off his back. And Real Madrid, for no apparent reason, get the lead after 35 minutes. And I was quite sure that they would take more control after that. Because a lot of times in games, um, there's a certain tactical pattern. In this case, it was Getafe playing on the, on the half of Real Madrid and creating lots of turnovers and making life difficult for them. And then out of the blue, a goal happens and you see a totally different game. And I thought that will happen here. Real Madrid will take more control from Modric, from Kroos, from East Coast, dropping between the lines. But that didn't really happen, actually. I thought we saw the same game after that uh, first goal by Madrid. That was kind of interesting to me. Yes, and even going into the second half, it was still the same game. And that's a lot, like, a lot of merit there goes on the work that has been done by Hetafe and Bordalas in just making the players commit to the game plan no matter what. Because it is very easy when you're playing one of these games, you're dominating, you're pressing well, then you get these kinds of goals against the run of play, and then the entire team loses its focus, they get disappointed, and, they, and then the game plan breaks down. Hetafe has been, have been already trained to keep pushing no matter what. And that's, again, that's just good work from the coaching team. That's also why they are sixth in the league with this squad, which is not overflowing with talent, if we're really honest, right? Yes, I mean, Hetafe is, is the kind of team who, uh, let's just say they, they are outstanding mostly on what they do without the ball rather than mm-hmm. what they do with the ball, for sure. Yeah, and that can get you uh, very far. And as I have been saying, they are also... Uh, Riding a little wave of efficient finishing now. So life is good for them now. Um, If we go in the second half, it's just like you said, it's still the same game. And I was a bit surprised that Zidane didn't really do more in-game management at halftime, for example. Or did you see any real tactical changes from him? Not really. I mean, the main change I saw... Uh, I think there was a phase at the beginning of the first half where I think Hitafe was a bit less aggressive. And... Real Madrid felt more comfortable in playing out of the left side. So if you look, for example, from uh, at the numbers from minute like 45 to 70, mm-hmm. now Isco and Kroos are the ones who have more passes in the team. Like they are clearly building up on the left side uh, once again. So at least that became a bit more normal. And then 
the problem is that they still like they still try to rack up passes, but but it they but Real Madrid players were like Mendy and Bale were still not like fully winning their duels against the Hitafe defense. It was quite interesting that Mendy, like usually left back, uh, because it's been normally done by Marcelo, the left back in Real Madrid is not as aggressive running into spaces. But in this game, we had a lot of uh, Ferland Mendy making runs into space, more like what Jordi Alba would do. And do you think Real Madrid exploited that enough, his, his runs? Um. Well, he it was just it, the problem is that it was a bit like Mendy against the world almost on like, that you know, side of the field, yeah. Because I understand what you mean. Yes, because it it almost feel like well, Mendy could get the ball, but then it was him against the world. Everyone else in in Real Madrid kind of had to catch up to him, and he had to somehow magically hold the ball against an entire Hitafe defense. So, it 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 wasn't fully working out. Uh, another thing that doesn't help, like when you don't have Ramos in the team, is that Real Madrid usually really likes doing like these long diagonal, like cross diagonal balls to the right side. We didn't see much of that in this game. No, there's this perception that Ramos just defends and then gives the ball to Kroos. But in most cases, he's been one of the more effective playmaking center backs in the world, actually, over the last decade. Yes. And one of the interesting things is that I think because Ramos was not there, Kroos mm-hmm. and Isco also had to operate deeper in midfield. They couldn't be like they couldn't move like into advanced roles like they usually do because when Ramos is there, he mm-hmm. can take care of the first phase of play, and then those guys move forward. Here and it was Isco and Kroos uh, You think Militao doesn't have that quality yet on the ball? Um, he might have. I won't say he he might he could be as good on the ball as Ramos because Ramos is kind of one of the very best of the decade in this. But I do think that at this point, what's more lacking in him is just like the confidence and like just the, like he, he just arrived to the team. So he still doesn't quite have that confidence to play out with, to play with the ball. Right. So Zidane makes a double substitution in the 70th minute. Um, he puts in Valverde and Vinicius mm-hmm. for Kroos and for Isco which maybe we would have expected that uh, Modric would have gone off, maybe? Normally, that would have been the case, yes. But because Real Madrid have a tough schedule coming up, you think he, he, he decided to keep Modric on for the full 90 minutes? I am almost certain that Zidane did this thinking about the Super Cup ties midweek. So he wanted to rest. Like the like the substitutions were very strategic. Like mm-hmm. he substituted out Gross and Benzema, the two players he wants to rest more because they're kind of the mo- more important ones in the team structure. He yes. let Modric play the full 90 minutes because at this point, Modric is not the usual starter. So for those who, Yes, and for those who don't know, Wednesday, Real Madrid have to play Valencia in Saudi Arabia for the Super Cup. And if they win that, another one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, tough schedule coming up for them. So, some managing of the minutes by Zidane. Um, what I saw that in the second half, up until that double substitution, there were only four shots in the game. Two for Real Madrid, two for Getafe. So, we can say that we that they had some more control over the game, Real. That it was not as open as in the first half, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think that in that fir- like in those first, uh, in that first section of the second half, it was a bit more evened out. Like it was not Hitafe dominating as much as they were doing 
uh, in the first half. Now, an interesting thing was also the substitution that Hitafe did at the 60th minute when mm-hmm. Bordalas substituted um, right winger Faisal Fahir. He, he was substituted with Molina, with who is a Jorge Molina, who is another striker. Um, it is interesting because Molina compared to Angel in Mata, Molina is more of a target man, like the kind of uh, bigger striker that you want clashing against the two center backs. And I think that improved Hitafe's attack uh, throughout the last half hour because the other, because he was, Molina was actually outsmarting the two defenders. Like he, he's pretty good at holding up the ball. He's pretty good at like just playing like these one touch layoffs that, can help the wingers get into crossing positions, for example. So right. I did think that Hitafe got better at attacking and, let, and getting crosses into the box once Molina was substituted in. And that Real Madrid centre-backs had more trouble dealing with Molina in that final half hour. With them. Okay, interesting. How do you think Valverde and Vinicius affected the game? So they definitely helped make it a bit more direct and they enabled Real Madrid having like a more direct strategy, which became even stronger uh, when Jovic was substituted for Benzema at the 80th minute. At that point, you already had a pretty, like some pretty good personnel to be more direct with Valverde, Jovic and Vinicius. Mm -hmm. So uh, in that case, uh, it was mostly like you could send up the ball to Jovic. Jovic could, uh, hold it up better against Hitafe's centre-backs. And then you had the Vinicius and Valverde trying to run in from behind. Uh, and then they could get the ball and then try to see if they could shoot or assist. And Valverde got in, like, I think in those 20 minutes, he got off uh, two shot assists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vinicius also had, like, a couple shots of a pretty good, and a pretty good chance that he could have scored. So it, it just seemed that, at least in that case, Real Madrid were getting better at winning duels against uh, uh, Hitafe's defense because they got like the more physical players in their squad, the more physical attackers in their squad. Yeah, but you know, overall, I agree with all the tactical stuff you say, but overall, I think it speaks volumes that Madrid in the first, uh, what was it, first 80 minutes of the, of the match only had two genuine opportunities to score and those were the two set pieces that went in and that they went into the closing stages of the match with that 2-0 uh, lead. But overall, isn't this a bit of an, of an worrying performance if you only can score two goals from set pieces and one from a counter in the last minute? Absolutely. Like This is a performance where Real Madrid spent most of the game being dominated. And, and it's kind of weird when we think about it, like when we think about the last couple games for Real Madrid, because they kind of dominated... Athletic Club and Barcelona the last two the last two games they couldn't score a goal then they go into this game where they get mostly dominated by Hitafe and they score three because why not? football is weird and random and we saw that last week with Chelsea Arsenal and we saw that this week and if I want to I can say that every week I think so this is one of those weirder outcomes and I think I typed to you on Slack this afternoon that Real Madrid literally dominated zero minutes of this game. Like, it was 50-50 for some periods, like the first section of the second half, but they, they, they were never fully in control. And I think that should be worrying if you're playing against Getafe away. Yes, and even in, the, even in those last 20 minutes of the game where Real Madrid were actually generating some good chances, mm-hmm. it was an open game. Like, Getafe was also generating chances. Yeah, because- it left shots in 20 minutes. 
Yes. And because, for example, with Molina, they were starting to, they could hold up the ball better against Real Madrid center backs. They could get into more crossing positions. Also, like there were just more spaces throughout the game. So like it just opened mm-hmm. up and everyone, everyone had an easier time attacking. So it, even in that context, you felt that it was a game that was pretty even uh, from both mm-hmm. sides. Yes. yes. I have to say, Madrid scored a third goal in the 94th minute or so. I think that gave me a little bit of flashback to Mourinho's uh, Real Madrid. Beautiful counter-attack. Uh, first pass is played to Bale. Gigantic sprint is made by Jovic, and Jovic lays it square to Modric, and Modric taps it in. Uh, uh, that, one was, that one was not Jovic. It was Valverde, actually. Really? Yes. Oh, I thought it was Jovic. Well, good that you keep me sharp. <laughs> I, I, I get well. I notice it simply because I, I I like Valverde. Like I, if for those who, have, who like, like who have talked to me about this, like I wasn't really a big fan of Valverde going into this season, and I thought it was a mistake uh, to depend so heavily on him throughout this season. And over time, I've kind of been proven wrong, and it, it's just hard not to like uh-huh. a player who moves as well as him. Yes. Well, I am, of course, as you know, very stubborn. And I've just looked it up on YouTube. And it seems you are right. It was Valverde. Yes. So that's something you had right. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but it's good to keep each other sharp. Uh, All in all, if you would not have seen this match, you see 3-0. Okay, routine win. But we can definitely say that's not the case. Yes, and I... The only slack I'm willing to cut Real Madrid in this regard is that they kind of lacked a lot of key players on their left side. Uh, well, they lacked most of their left side, like, of their better ball-playing left side. Because normally, like, this would have, I think this game would have had a very different outcome, tactically speaking, uh, if you had played this with Ramos, Marcelo, and Azar, for example. But they have played a lot of bad matches with those players as well. So we'll never know. But for this case, let's just uh, agree on that. I have one more thing I want to discuss with you. That's um, if you see how open the last 20 minutes were uh, with Valverde, with Vinicius, with Jovic introduced later on. um, Don't you think that with the benefit of hindsight that Zidane made a good choice initially to say, okay, we're going to play Modric Isco. We're going to focus more on possession. Because you don't want an open game against Getafe, right? That's what you don't want. In general, I think if you're Real Madrid, you don't want uh, to open games. Because frankly, what Real Madrid is good at is, I mean, they have a lot of playmakers. They should be aiming to control games rather than open them up. Mm. Okay, good point. That's usually the way, the way I see it. Uh, I do think that, for example, at, towards the end of the game, Real Madrid were attacking more successfully than they did before. But yes, it came at the cost of kind of losing control over the game and making it easier for Hitafe to attack too. Right. Uh, we're now going into the Super Cup, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, besides that it's played in Saudi Arabia, that should be pretty cool. It's a new sort of event. That's uh, something we'll keep an eye on. We have a match report on this match tomorrow morning on the website, written by our writer, Josh Manley. Um, go check that out if you don't know Between the Post is a football tactics website and now we also besides written articles also made podcasts and we're going to start video in 2020 so that's all very cool anything you'd like to add Jose? Uh, 
Uh, not much other than I really, I really like what Hitafe do. Like at this point, Hitafe have gotten so good and so consistent at what they do that every game, it like I, I think for people who this is the first time watching Hitafe, it could be a bit surprise season already. They've been and they've been defending, and it's quite interesting that they've changed, they've evolved in their defensive style over time. They didn't defend this aggressively in previous seasons, so it looks like every year Bordalas keeps mixing up things a bit, and that's very interesting tactically. Like the players, I mean, don't get bored; they do something different every year, so they're a fun yeah. team to watch. Yes, and he is clearly a manager that also uh, La Liga team should watch. Maybe eh, what can he do at a club with bigger resources? So uh, definitely one to watch and uh, keep an eye for. Um, Jose, thanks. Next week, Liverpool Tottenham. That will be as fun as this, hopefully. Yes. Well, we've picked wisely the first two times. I agree. I should reiterate that it was you who picked this match instead of uh, Espanyol Barcelona. Who knows? It might still turn out interesting. It's just like the. It's just that I personally don't find it that entertaining. Like Barcelona trying to play their way mm-hmm. out of a four-four-two deep block. No, but you're, the La Liga, you're a La Liga expert, so we will listen to you. I will thank the listener, and I will <laughs> end the podcast by saying that uh, two things. We are now on iTunes. That's one. So go look us up hey. there. Subscribe. And thanks for all the feedback. If you've given that, uh, we already did some things on that. So thanks a lot. Keep listening. And next week, we'll be back with Liverpool against Tottenham. Thanks, Jose. Thanks for having me, Eric. And see see you all around. Bye-bye.